Good morning, Vineyard. How are we doing? It is good to be with you all this morning. Uh, scripture says that elders who lead and govern well are worthy of double honor, especially as those whose job is teaching and preaching. And I'm just thankful for the great teaching pastors we have here at Vineyard Cincinnati, Pastor Rob and Pastor Eric. So thankful for them and thankful that they would give me an opportunity uh, to speak to you guys as well. I love God. I love God's word. I love God's people. So I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning. Would you guys join me as we pray? God, we thank you for you. God, we thank you that you love us, that you have called us to yourself. God, thank you that you long to speak to us, to communicate to us through your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for inspiring it, and we pray that you would be here now to teach it and to apply it to our hearts in ways that only you can. We love you and we praise you. It's in your beautiful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Have you ever played schoolyard kickball? Have you ever played any sport, for that matter, that required the choosing of two different teams? Do you remember how that felt? To stand there in that line, wondering when you were going to be chosen? For me growing up, this was a moment filled with angst. Now, invariably, two captains would arise. They would exalt themselves and put themselves forward, and the crowd would start affirming one or the other in hopes that they would be chosen and picked for that team. And it was no surprise who was picked first. It was the kid who had the growth spurt first. It was the athletic prowess. It was the guys that could just clear it out of the schoolyard. No surprise to anyone. But then there was that large middle group. None of them very bad or very good. And usually the selection process was dependent upon friendships. They know someone on one of the two teams. Hey, pick so-and-so. And then the crowd dwindled. And the nervous faces of those left were almost too much to look at. It was certainly too much to live through. And then there were two. Did you ever notice that the last person was never even really picked? Hey, we'll take Bob, you can have Tom. Or maybe there was three. We'll take this person, you can have those two, as if they're not even really a full person. <laughs> Painful. Now, if you're anything like me, as soon as the game began, you were still thinking about, why was I picked when I was picked? And what you were going to do to prove them right or wrong for choosing you when they chose you. What can I do in this game to make sure I move myself up the pecking order? Now, for some of you, this calls to mind the glory days of times gone by. You were always the first one picked. You were the captain. You were the guy who cleared it out of the schoolyard. But for some of you, you know firsthand the pain and the sting of rejection because you were chosen last, if you were chosen at all. And I wish we grew up and we outgrew and moved past this all too typical kickball scene. But if we're honest, this lens of acceptance and rejection continues to dominate our lives. Today, I wanna to talk about the acceptance of God. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 15. Today, we're gonna to just read one verse and unpack what does it mean to be accepted by God? Romans 15, seven. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. 
Now, this is a summation verse of all that Paul's talked about in chapters 14 and 15. What he's saying is accept one another. Uh, So just brief context of what's going on here. There's two groups of people in the Roman church who are disagreeing. It doesn't really matter what their disagreement's over. Paul says they're disputable matters. They're not talking, is Jesus God? Is this really salvation? It's nothing like that, just disputable matters. And Paul's going, hey, can you guys just get along? Can you guys just love one another, just accept one another? Uh, This is me walking into my kid's room and they're like killing each other and having just to pull them off each other. Like, I don't care what you guys are fighting about right now. Just love each other. Can't we all just get along? That's what Paul's saying in some sense. Now he does say someone's right, someone's wrong. There's issues going on here. There's conversations. But before you start having all the conversations, just love one another. Acceptance is the beginning, not the end. Before you start haggling over this disagreement, just love one another, accept one another. You don't have to agree with everyone to love them. You can still accept them. Today in our culture, we're in a silly habit of believing that if I disagree with you, I can't love you. If we don't like line up with all the same beliefs and we can't accept one another. And Paul's going, that's not the case. You can accept one another from the start and still disagree. Let's bring this conversation to the higher plane of love. It doesn't matter whatever the issue is. What's really important, what's core to the gospel, is that you accept one another because Christ accepted you. Now, while the main thrust of Paul's argument here, his main command is that you accept one another, what he's not saying is you're free to just be the jacked up version of you you currently are. He's not saying, oh, I'm messed up, but you have to accept me because scripture says accept one another, Christ accepted me, just accept one another. Acceptance is not an excuse to stay the way you are. It's an invitation to become who you really are. God accepts us. We don't have to perfect ourselves and become perfect for God to accept us. God's acceptance is the beginning of him transforming us. It's the beginning, not the end. Paul's saying, love each other. And notice that Paul has to coach them towards this. Acceptance is not the natural option for us. We live in a world of rejection. And whether we know it or not, rejection is all around us. Let me just pause for a minute and ask you this. What if your problem really isn't your problem? What if your problem is an attempt to deal with the real problem? That somehow, sometime, in some way, you've been touched by rejection in some sense. Maybe it's a simple rejection. Maybe it's a deep and profound rejection. But what if your problem really isn't the problem? What if all of our problems is somehow we've felt rejected? Now, you don't have to be all high-minded and philosophical to understand this. You can look at something as simple as a baby. A baby longs for acceptance. It rolls to the edge of the crib to feel a touch. It needs acceptance if it's going to make it. One author wrote, the infant who is not received in love by the mother and others is wounded for life and may even die. It must bond with its mother or someone in order to take on a self and a life. And rejection, no matter how old one is, is a sword thrust to the soul that has literally killed many. He concludes by saying, Western culture, our culture, is largely unbeknownst to itself, a culture of rejection. Now, if you think this is too harsh of an indictment, 
Just listen to your own life. Just look around you. Beyond the game of kickball, our families were life-giving or destructive based on whether or not we were accepted or rejected. How many of us weren't hoping to receive an acceptance letter to our first college of choice and had some sense of dread that we might be denied or rejected? We laughingly make fun of the, the kid who asks the girl out to the prom and she turns him down and we go, oh, rejected. This is NBA defense, rejected, it's all around us. We are enticed with and finally ensnared by the pre-approved or pre-accepted offers of the credit card companies. And every time we slide that piece of plastic, we hope to see the words accepted because it's very embarrassing to walk out of a place after you've been denied or rejected. This is a social status. This is social media. How many likes can I get? Oh, only one? Mmm, I feel a little bit rejected. 200, mmm, yummy, that tastes good, I'm accepted. Now, if you take a picture with your bae, you're before anything else, hey, I feel accepted having a good time, maybe you feel accepted. If you take 25 pictures a day with someone saying, hey, I'm happy and I'm accepted, you're probably not happy and probably don't feel accepted. Even in social media, we're working this thing out. Am I accepted? Am I rejected? How many of us were promised lifelong love and acceptance in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, till death do us part, but were rejected for a younger, newer, or wealthier model? We long for love. We crave acceptance. It's the core of who we are. This is exactly what Bruce was experiencing in his life. Bruce Almighty. <laughs> Have you seen the movie? He's an ordinary guy just minding his own business, things not going quite his way. He's going, I think I could be, do a better job running this world than God could. So God, or Morgan Freeman, obliges and says, okay, here's my powers, you have a go, see how this thing turns out. And of course, Bruce gets right to taking care of himself, like probably most of us would. He parts traffic as if it's the Red Sea. He makes sure he's driving a better car. He's got a Porsche. He's climbing the corporate ladder. All his coworkers look like idiots compared to him. But the one thing Bruce longs for more than anything else is love and acceptance from a certain someone. Let's watch as he uses his newfound power to try to get just that. Wait! Uh. How do you feel now? Have you completely lost your mind? What, are you drunk? Yeah, I'm drunk. Drunk with power. Love me. Love me. Love me. Love me! I did. That is how I proposed to my wife. <laughs> Love me! I did. Rejected. Doesn't matter how much power you attain, what kind of status you achieve. As the song says, I can't make you love me if you don't. We long for acceptance. We long to be loved. We long to know this. 
what if the problem really isn't the problem? What if we're driven to empty relationships just because we want to feel loved and accepted? It's a status. At least there's one person in this world that cares about me and loves me and can stand to be with me. If I'm not in a relationship, does that mean there's no one that loves me and accepts me? Well, now that I've thoroughly depressed all of you, uh, what's the point of all of this? It's here in this moment, just recognizing the world we live in, that we begin to make sense of the incredible good news of the gospel. That God, who knows you completely, has not rejected you, but loves you and accepts you. Christ accepted you. You were made a relational being. Put on your theologian hat for just a second. Just track with me. This might be language or words you've not thought about, but surely you know this, this idea. You were made a relational being. You were made to be with others because you were made by a God who is a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We sing the song here, right? I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. So it's not just that we were made for acceptance. We were made by a God who has forever existed in perfect acceptance of himself in Father, Son, and Spirit. And we need his acceptance more than anyone else's, which is why it's incredible that Paul says, Christ accepted you. God, who knows everything about you, who formed you, who fashioned you, who made you in his image, loves you and has accepted you. The storyline of the Bible is not that God rejected us, but that we, creatures who are in need of acceptance, rejected him. Isaiah 59 says, it's our iniquities that have separated us from God. Our sins have hidden his face from us. But it goes on to say, his arm is not so short that he can't save. His own arm has brought about salvation. We are people who run from God. He's the God who runs after us and pursues us with his love. Christ accepted us. Now this idea of acceptance is seen in families all through scripture. You see pairs of brothers who turn out very different from one another based on the love and acceptance they received or the sense of rejection they felt from their family. The very first set of brothers, Cain and Abel. God accepted Abel's sacrifice and offering, but Cain's was rejected. And this drove Cain to kill his brother. First time we see murder, a case of acceptance and rejection. Jacob have I loved, but Esau I hated. A family filled with strife and lies and deception and favoritism and lack of communication. And Jacob has to flee for his life because his brother Esau, whom he's tricked and stolen the birthright, is out to get him to kill him. One day Jacob grows up, gets married, has his own family and his favorite son from his favorite wife, a victim of favoritism, acceptance. All his brothers feel rejected on the outside. Here's this dreamer of dreams with his technicolor coat. Let's go kill him. They settle for selling him into slavery. Acceptance and rejection. Recently, Hollywood and Marvel has given us insight into the lives of two other brothers. One of them loved and accepted by the father. One of them with his deep, profound sense of rejection. Thor and Loki have a very different relationship to Odin Allfather. 
And this profound sense of rejection drives Loki out of Asgard to go find a planet of his own to rule over, to dominate, so that all these people will love him and accept him and he feels better about himself. Let's see how that turns out for Loki. and I will not be bullied by that. Puny God. When we experience the pain of rejection, we either fill our lives with puny gods or we become our own puny God because we desperately long for the love and acceptance of the one true God. We want to know that our Father loves us. If you're wondering, is my God a puny God? If Hulk can beat up your God, your God is a puny God. (laughs) We are loved by someone who is not a puny God, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. He knows you. He loves you. Christ has accepted you. The problem isn't the problem. The problem is our attempt to work out this sense of rejection. Let me tell you how this played itself out in my own life. I am a recovering perfectionist, which means right now I am desperately concerned that you guys like me and I don't say something stupid and I come across as brilliant and having it all together. Most of my life has been dominated by fear. Fear of not measuring up, fear of being exposed for the phony that I am. See, I grew up in the South, in the Bible Belt, in a Christian home, homeschool, went to a great Christian church, uh, got saved when I was seven, learned the Bible stories, got baptized when I was in first grade. On the outside, everything looked wonderful. Great family, great church, great home, great God, everything's good. One of the problems of growing up in a church, though, and meeting Jesus at a young age and getting saved is you grow up and all of a sudden you realize you're a sinner. And now what do I do? I've already done the Jesus thing and now there's stuff going on inside of me that no one else seems to be talking about. Am I the only one struggling with these things? I guess I just do what I see everyone else doing. Just act like everything's okay and just do your best to keep all the rules. Luckily for me, I was pretty good at that. I was really good at that, in fact. Uh, For starters, growing up at home, I was homeschooled, so I was the smartest person in my class. Had that going for me right off the bat. Uh, But a few years ago, I found myself doing middle school and high school ministry at a campus of about a thousand people, a couple hundred students involved in the ministry. At that time, was transitioning to college ministry and doing college ministry across all four campuses, a church about our size, five, six thousand people. And right as I made that transition, the campus pastor and adult ministries pastor at my campus both left and went to other churches. So now I'm doing my old job of middle school and high school, my new job of college across four campuses and helping take care of a campus with two other pastors that are gone. And somewhere in there I had a third kid that was now three boys, three and under, and life was hitting the proverbial fan. Stressed out, trying to be perfect, trying to hold it all together, trying to act like I got everything under control. 
And so at this point, I decide, you know what, I need to go talk to someone, just make sure I'm caring for my soul and I'm doing okay. And as I began to talk through this in the struggle, I realized that perfectionism wasn't my problem. Perfectionism was my solution to the real problem. That somewhere deep down, I wasn't quite sure I was loved and accepted. See, when I was in middle school, I was perfecting my perfectionism, and I was the great kid in the public sphere, going to church, everyone loved me, I was the leader. I'd worked through these cycles of perfection, so now I'm not just the best student in my class, now I'm going to church, and for fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, I was nominated as the captain of the RAs on Wednesday nights, and my leaders loved me, and I could memorize scripture easily, and I could talk to adults, and had all that stuff figured out. Then towards the end of middle school, I started playing soccer. Now, this is not just home anymore in the church world. This is like the real world, the scary lost people. How's this going to go? Well, by the end of the first soccer season, I was one of the leading scorers in the county. And so I'm back on top and I'm under control. By the end of high school, I go to a junior college to do joint enrollment my senior year. Now, these are like real schools with real institutions and teachers that aren't my mom. How's this going to go? By the end of the first semester, I'm tutoring people in my class. I'm making straight A's. I'm known as the Christian on campus. People come to with their questions. If you disagree with me, what do I care? You're going to hell anyway, and then God loves me, so I'm good. I'm protected, right? <laughs> well, then I transfer and go to the north to a four-year university. It's the north. It's not the blue-collared farmers in Georgia. It's the high-minded academics. What if I say something wrong? What if I mispronounce a word in the Bible? They've been reading the Bible longer than I've been alive. How's this going to go? And the first semester was very disillusioning for me. I felt like a river that had met the ocean. Who am I anymore? But give me a semester, give me that first year. I was one of the top three Bible majors in the school. I was the number one nominated RA candidate for the next year, became an RA, became a member of the discipleship cabinet. I was back on top. I graduate, okay, maybe that's just the Christian bubble. What about the real world? Go into retail management, the youngest, fastest promoted store manager in the company, had my own store running it, things seemed to be good. Then I got into ministry. And I started to wonder, am I a pastor because I really feel called to be a pastor? Or is this me just working my perfectionism out? I wanna be the perfect Christian, and naturally the perfect Christian is a pastor, so I'll just go be a pastor. And I realized that the perfectionism wasn't the issue. It was my attempt to solve my issues. The real issue was this profound sense of rejection. You see, when I was in middle school, acting like the goody-goody, I was kind of, well not kind of, I was a jerk to my family would pick on my brothers and sisters. And one day my dad looked at me and said, Eric, you disgust me. The way you act like this perfect little kid in church and you hold the doors for everyone and make sure everything is good. You come home and you treat your family like garbage. Now this was not the first conversation we've had about this. It was like the fifth or sixth or seventh conversation about this. Eric, you disgust me. And he was right. I was living two different lives. And as I've told this story over the years, there's this sense of, wow, my dad loved me enough to tell the truth, to kind of shock me into reality, to help me live one life. But somewhere along that journey, an idea kind of got lodged in my mind or my heart that if my dad saw the way I lived outside of the house and saw the inconsistency with how I lived inside the house, and if that was disgusting, then maybe my heavenly father saw the way I lived and knew what was going on inside my heart, and maybe he thought I was disgusting. Does God really love me? Does God really accept me? And preachers would confirm this for me. Oh, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Christ. 
Now this is completely right. We no longer have our own righteousness as Christians. We have Christ's righteousness. We depend upon that. It's about faith in him. But there was also this implicit idea that it's a good thing God doesn't see you when he looked at you. Because if he did, he'd be disgusted. So perfectionism for me was going, if I can convince everyone else that I'm perfect, maybe then telling me I'm okay will help me believe I'm actually okay. And if they think I'm okay and I think I'm okay, maybe God will think I'm okay. See, the problem with perfectionism is that it doesn't work. Even when it works, it still doesn't work. Even when everyone's going, oh yeah, we love you, you're great, we like you. There's still that nagging voice in the back of your mind, but Eric, they don't really know you. And if they did, they'd be disgusted. It's a protection, it's an evasion. If you don't know me, you can't not like me. But guess what, you also can't love me or accept me. Even if you think you do, you don't know me. So I don't know how this plays itself out in your life. For me, it was perfectionism. But you need to know, just like I had to learn, Christ accepted you. He knows everything about you. And when he looks at you, he's not disgusted. He loves you. He knows you completely. He loves you fully. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Christ accepted you. As we close today in prayer, there'll be a prayer team down front. Maybe for you, you just need to admit who you are. C.S. Lewis said, I want God, not my idea of God. I want my wife, not my idea of my wife. I want my neighbor, not my idea of my neighbor. I want myself, not my idea of myself. It's really hard to be accepted as you are until you admit who you are. But we don't have to admit who we are in a sense of fear. We admit who we are to God who knows us already, who loves us completely, and who accepts us. You need to know today, Christ accepted you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that there's nothing we could tell you that would surprise you. God, you know everything we've done, everything that's been done to us. You know every word we've said in public and in private. God, you know the things we hide from those closest to us, and you know the things we hide from ourselves. And you love us, God. You accept us. So God, we can accept one another. This is a safe place, a safe church, to be honest about who we are and to accept one another because, Jesus, you accepted us. We love you because you loved us. It's in your beautiful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Go and be the church.